You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. Shots fired in a busy Vancouver neighborhood. Yeah, it happened on Main Street near East 50th Ave. Our Tanya Beja is there for us tonight. And Tanya, thankfully, this time it's only shattered windows and bullet holes. That's right, Chris, but uh, nobody was injured, but two businesses were struck by bullets. One of them, this massage therapy clinic right beside me, you can actually see the bullet hole in the window. Uh, the other was a barber shop right across the street, and both of these businesses had clients inside at the time. Now, the shooting happened around 2.30 this afternoon. Witnesses say they believe the suspect or suspects were firing after somebody who was running down East 50th Avenue near Main Street. Police say nobody was injured, but this could have been so much worse. This is a busy commercial area, lots of restaurants and shops nearby. It was a sunny Friday afternoon, so lots of people outside. We spoke with some of the passers-by as well as with the barber who was inside his shop when it was struck by bullets. Here's what they had to say. We couldn't see nothing, just heard the noise, that's all. What did you hear? Oh, three times shoot. So it's really scaring for us. I mean, it's not safe for us to live here. Not safe at all because we come here to do shopping, you know, so like with the kids and you never know what's surrounding it. So it's not really good at, not good, you know, so it shouldn't be happening. We should be safe on streets in Vancouver. Now, while this was happening, police stopped a black SUV about half a block from here. One man was in handcuffs. They spoke with him at length, and eventually he was released, but the SUV was towed from the scene. Uh, no word yet on whether there's any connection between that vehicle or the individual and the shooting here this afternoon. What we do know is that police are saying this was a targeted shooting. It's also not the first in this neighborhood. In September, there was a shooting at Maine and 56th. Back in March, another at Maine and 51st. So police are asking anybody with information about this latest incident to contact them. Sophie and Chris, back to you. All right, thanks, Tanya. Meantime, in Surrey, RCMP are investigating yet another drive-by shooting. Police say it happened right around 10 o'clock last night in the 6100 block of 150th Street. Witnesses report seeing a white pickup truck and dark-colored sedan on the road. The occupants speaking to one another in the vehicles when a dark-colored SUV rolled up and <laughs> shot at them. The SUV was last seen southbound on 150th Street. Police urging anyone who may have seen something to call Crime Stoppers. Well, we now know the cause of a house fire in Nanaimo where a family of three was found dead this week. The bodies of Jason Stevenson, Amberly Scar, and their seven-year-old daughter Piper were found in the home Tuesday. The fire investigation is now complete. The fire has been ruled to be accidental in nature and was most likely caused by unattended candles. Because of the type of fire uh, that it is, it was what we call an oxygen deprived fire. So it was burning for a long period of time and then cooled down and then maybe reignited as it spread further throughout the house, at which time it was probably noticed by the passerbys. Nothing that proved that they had working smoke alarms. And investigators are trying to determine the cause of a large fire that went up on Mitchell Island last night. Smoke and explosions could be seen from South Vancouver. And while it is an industrial area, with the closest neighbours being just across the river, Jill Bennett explains why it's raising concerns.
This is what people living across the river from Mitchell Island saw and heard out their windows Thursday evening. We heard a big bang. We thought something collided with the building. Uh, we opened up our blinds and uh, there was a huge fire, lots of explosions continuously. Around 8 p.m., fire tore through the AABC recycling building, scorching a number of cars and forcing one employee trapped inside to get himself to safety. We had reports of a person trapped inside the building as we uh, approached the fire. That person was actually able to self-evacuate, get himself away from the fire, and he was hurt, but not uh, to a major extent. The fire was fully involved when crews arrived, and it was a tough one to fight. Part of the building had collapsed, making it impossible for crews to get inside. By Friday morning, it was clear. Damage is extensive. Oh, it's sad. It's sad. We built it. It's very sad. Yeah. Can you rebuild? One can always rebuild. Yeah. <laughs> one can always rebuild. There was another fire at the same car recycling facility in January. It too sent a huge plume of smoke into the air. And in June, a mattress recycling business on Mitchell Island went up in flames, something residents kilometers away could both see and smell. Well, it is concerning. I and mean, this is residential on this side and, and um, commercial or industrial on that side. Um, you know, and, and all the fumes that come off the fire. I mean, that one last night was all, I'm sure, like gas and tires and everything else. Hot spots made getting into the building difficult, even for fire investigators now tasked with picking through the debris and determining the cause. Jill Bennett, Global News. James David Jr. Charlie will be spending a minimum of 25 years in prison for the first-degree murder of a Vanderhoof man five years ago. In January 2012, 28-year-old Frybion Bjornsson went to a home on the Nakadzali Reserve near Fort St. James to buy drugs. He was beaten and died in the home, and they tried to dispose of his body. Charlie tearfully apologized to the victim's parents in court today, saying he didn't know what had happened that night. Two others have already been convicted of second-degree murder. Bjornsson was a husband and father of two. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 16th murder of the year. A man in his 30s was stabbed to death outside the Tim Hortons at first and commercial. He was found on the sidewalk at about 9.30 last night. Paramedics rushed him to the hospital, but he died a short time later. At this point, police believe the stabbing was targeted, but they have no suspects. And as of right now, they don't even know who the victim was. Detectives from the VPD's homicide unit are asking anyone who may have been in the area last night at around 9.30, around the Tim Hortons, which was open at the time, so there's lots of people out on the sidewalk, as well as restaurants nearby. If they happen to notice anything suspicious or a person laying on the ground or anything that may have led up to this, to give them a call at 604-717-2500. Police are actively searching for leads, looking for surveillance camera footage for any possible leads. A Vancouver student is in some hot water after police were tipped off about a cache of weapons. Police learning about the potential danger when the student brought some of them to an off-site school function. And while some of the knives are real, turns out the guns mostly are fake, except for a BB gun or two. They're all replicas. The student and parent worked with police, turning all of the guns over. And it appears that this was a case of bad judgment on behalf of the student. There's zero information to believe that these weapons were ever at school, that anyone was ever in any danger whatsoever. 
Now, some uplifting news for you. We are hearing tonight from a feisty senior who refused to let a purse snatcher get the upper hand. At 95 years young, she fought back. And as Erin MacArthur reports, she's thanking several good Samaritans who stepped in to help. When I came up on her, she was, she was laying right here in the grass. When Mike Hillman came running out of his apartment Wednesday, he found himself in the middle of a purse snatching. The victim's name is Murza. She's in her 90s. I will be 95 in December. Walking home just after 5. Suddenly, a guy was running on the street. I was on the sidewalk. Then he jumped me. Uh, she was quite startled, and she just pointed this way that there was two guys. They ripped it, and her purse was literally ripped in half. But she was able to hang on to it. He was trying to get it, and I was holding very hard. I didn't want to get, go to him. This incident was witnessed by a number of civilians driving by who ended up uh, playing a bit of a cat and mouse game in the downtown area of White Rock ultimately uh, chasing this person on foot and tackling him. She had a small scrape on her, under her one eye, but she was able to get up on her own power in that. Considering she was 95, I had no idea she was that old. Thank goodness, you know, I don't have broken bones, you know, that's the main thing. Apparently she got everything back and they got the guys like a block and a half from here. I'd like to thank them for their efforts in bringing this person into custody and holding him until we attended. Mirza is one tough lady. She walks every day. And even after this assault, says she has no plans to stop. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Okay, you're going to have to stay with me on this one. Vancouverites will be heading to the polls on Saturday, voting in a by-election for nine school board trustees and filling the council seat left vacant by Jeff Meggs, who went on to work for the new NDP government. Civic elections aren't usually very exciting, but our Nadia Stewart has been following the race for the last few weeks. She joins us now from City Hall. And Nadia, housing uh, posing a major challenge in Vancouver these days and, and will become a key election issue. Yeah, no doubt. It was a major issue during the provincial election. Same deal for this by-election if you're a parent. Education is also going to be top of mind. For both issues, it really comes down to how much the electorate feels it's time for change. I was born here in Vancouver. An all-candidates form at UBC barely draws a crowd. Those here representing the NPA, Vision Vancouver, Green Party, One City. There's even a university student running. Just days to go before Vancouver's by-election to fill nine trustee seats. The Vancouver School Board has been dismissed. Left vacant when the last board was fired by the former education minister. The advice this time around from an education advocate, voters should do their homework and probe every single promise. For this school year, this elected group's year, um, there is no new funds. So any promises need to be asked questions of how do you plan to do that? Because in the absence of new money, you only have the money you have. So to add something, you will likely have to take something away. Education, one of the key issues Vancouverites are considering ahead of Saturday's vote. One that will also see a vacant city council seat filled. But in by-elections, voter turnout is notoriously low. The last Vancouver by-election was in 1992 and voter turnout was only 10% of registered voters, only one in 10 people. And those who do vote are often mobilized by the party they support. But Vancouver is a city under pressure, an opioid crisis, homelessness. But the most prominent challenge, housing and affordability. Combined, those issues could sway this vote, setting the stage for what's to come. 
it's a pre-game show towards what's going to happen probably a year from now when the, when the main civic election is going to happen. Vision it probably has the biggest sort of party machine in the city. If they can't get out the vote uh, to win this by-election, that might be a signal that something is going wrong and uh, it might be a sign of things to come in 2018. And everything gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. That is when uh, the voting booths, the voting stations, will open across the city. 51 uh, places to vote across Vancouver. Polls close at 8. We'll be covering it. And, of course, I'll be live uh, tomorrow night at 6 and 11 with all of those updates. Back to you for now, Chris. All right, got to get involved. Thanks very much, Nadia. Boom goes the neighborhood. It moves the windows, shakes paintings, mirrors off the walls. Senate residents have had enough of the guy in the purple PT Cruiser. His stereo has become such a problem, he's being punished. Why he says he's being treated unfairly in just over a minute. A gas station carjacking that didn't go as planned coming up on the news hour. And a virtual reality game that got very real for one young couple in love. The surprise ending she never saw coming a little later. But first, a Saanich man who's been all but banned from driving his car is speaking out tonight, claiming he's being treated unfairly. As Nitu Garcha reports, the issue isn't the way he drives, but the noise he makes. So many of us do it, driving with our favorite beats on blast. But in the case of 24-year-old Dustin Hamilton, the sound emanating from his PT Cruiser has him banned from using the speakers at all in the municipality of Central Saanich, a big blow to the car audio installer. Some people like hockey, some people like lacrosse, I like car audio. His vehicle is rigged out. It's got an elaborate and loud stereo system. This is all upgraded. He was gearing up for an audio sound competition in August when posters started popping up. If you value the peace and quiet of our beautiful community, please contact the police to assist them in stopping this individual. Now, he's restricted from a section of West Saanich Road, an area home to 17 people who reported the noise to RCMP. The horses panic when he goes by. My dogs are terrified. My grandson one day was out here. He's six years old. He just burst into tears. It is really an awful noise. When it's rattling the walls and all that, it's kind of disturbing. Police say Hamilton's had multiple warnings dating back to May, a ticket and even a criminal mischief charge. And it was the repetitiveness in the same neighborhood. I'm absolutely sorry, especially if it's impacted the kids and stuff. Hamilton's not allowed to drive anywhere except to appointments, dropping his girlfriend off at work and hearings. I think that's a little too extreme. Court ordered conditions he says he's following, but he refuses to downgrade the gear. In fact, He's amped it up. This amps twice as twice the power that I had where all the complaints came from. And despite what some neighbors think, the self-proclaimed audiophile insists his hearing is still perfect. People say I'm going deaf. I'll have a hearing test that will come out in court that I have actually better than normal hearing. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Saanich. Well, here's something you don't often see in Metro Vancouver. A house being moved instead of being torn down. A pre-dawn operation this morning picked up this 1,200-square-foot rancher from a southwest Richmond neighborhood and trucked it through the streets to Steveston. Early next week, it'll be barged over to Vancouver Island and its new home in the community of Cedar, just south of Nanaimo. Recycling. Mm, Pender Harbor's got big plans.
even I thought was like a bit of <laughs> a steep climb, but we did it. How the entire community got together to build something for all of us on this abandoned waterfront property. And winter comes pretty early to some parts of the province. Who got hit hardest? Next. In fact, to improve spill response in this province, the regulations follow the sinking of a tug near Bella Bella, which leaked 110,000 liters of diesel fuel into the water a year ago. Anyone transporting liquid petroleum products in B.C. will now be required to have contingency plans in place before any product is moved. The regulations extend liability for full cost of response and recovery to a combination of both the owner and the transporter of the substance. An ambitious plan we told you about earlier this year to build a marine research center on the Sunshine Coast is two big steps and millions of dollars closer to reality. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the organizers have cleared a major financial hurdle and even recruited a big-time partner. This abandoned waterfront lot at the mouth of Pender Harbour on the Sunshine Coast is today one step closer to becoming the site of something grand, the Pender Harbour Ocean Discovery Station, or PODS. The, the big news is that we uh, actually now own um, the land, so Irving's Landing belongs to us. It took the entire community to bring this first important goal to fruition. We raised two point. $4 million, <laughs> so, uh, which I think, uh, you know, even I thought was like a bit of <laughs> a steep climb, but we did it. The architecture will be eye-catching. Inside, pods will focus on education, monitoring and studying both freshwater and marine environments. Its location is expected to be key to its success. There are so many different habitats, everything from alpine lakes and wetlands. We've got the interface between freshwater and seawater. Then we've got all the islands. Next, they needed a partner. First, we were frankly a little bit skeptical. to Bring something really um, valuable into the community. But soon enough, Simon Fraser University saw the wisdom of teaming up with pods. We could uh, do joint research, use uh, the facilities that will be built. We can take uh, students, both undergraduate and graduate, and have them do their work on the ground or simply go out and explore what real-life problems look like. It's huge. We're so proud to have SFU associated with Penda Harbour. And the credibility such a partnership brings won't hurt when the next phase of fundraising begins. It could cost as much as $18 million to build the facility, which is expected to open in the summer of 2020. So we're sticking to that, and I don't see any reason why we can't do that. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Unlike our winter to summer transition earlier this year, we haven't completely skipped a season, but while fall is here, there are already signs that winter is right around the corner. Actually, winter is here in Cranbrook, at least right now. Kids there getting their first opportunity today to build snowmen and play in the snow. And here's an exciting shot from Global One for local skiers. A light dusting of snow on the North Shore Mountains. Not exactly skiing conditions yet, but it's a start. And up in Whistler, the snow is starting to build up on the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb scheduled to open November 23rd. The Kamloops area also awoke to a dusting of snow with higher elevations getting a few centimeters. And unfortunately, winter conditions are already causing the expected problems on the Coquihalla Highway. The Coke was even closed for a few hours today due to those treacherous conditions. And we'll check in with Christy a little bit later. 
for the weather forecast in our area. In the meantime, the threat that could scrap a key nuclear weapons agreement. The agreement will be terminated. How America's allies are reacting to Donald Trump's position on Iran. And outlaw chemistry, how drug dealers stay one step ahead of police in the opioid crisis. Caught on video at a Michigan gas station, a man tries to steal a woman's car while she's filling up. She tries to stop him as he pulls away, ripping out the gas pump hose. Luckily, the driver of a tanker truck sees what's happening and manages to wrestle the thief out of the car. The would-be carjacker eventually breaks free and makes a run for it, but thankfully, no one was injured. Donald Trump once again throwing the world of international diplomacy into turmoil today, refusing to certify the nuclear deal with Iran that was brokered during the Obama administration. As NBC's Andrea Mitchell reports, the reaction ranges from anxiety to anger. In a blistering indictment of Iran's terrorism, starting with the hostage-taking at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran in 1979, the president tonight threatening to quit the Iran nuclear deal unless Congress and the allies fix what he sees as serious flaws. In the event we are not able to reach a solution working with Congress and our allies, then the agreement will be terminated. The president ordering new sanctions against Iran's hardline Revolutionary Guard, instructing the intelligence agencies to reinvestigate reports Iran is dealing with North Korea, demanding Congress restrict Iran's missile program and make all restrictions on the nuclear program permanent under U.S. law. All very doubtful. Our Congress is highly unlikely to be able to resolve this issue. Not of all. The reaction immediate. Iran's President Rouhani calling the Trump language cursing. NBC's Ali Arouzi. Here in Tehran, there's a mood of anxiety and anger. A senior Revolutionary Guard commander saying Iran has buried many like Trump and knows how to fight against America. And in an unprecedented joint rebuke, America's closest NATO allies, the leaders of Britain, Germany and France, saying they are concerned by the possible implications of the president's decision not to recertify Iran is complying. He's trying to negotiate a prenuptial agreement after the marriage. Yesterday's new numbers that show more people died from drug overdoses in the first eight months of this year than all of last year have driven home the scale of B.C.'s fentanyl crisis. Tonight, some perspective on why it's difficult for healthcare professionals and the law to keep up with drug manufacturers who deal in death. John Waugh reports. The threat is real. You don't know what you're buying. What goes into their arm, a concoction limited only by the creativity of an underground chemist. It's about money, not about your life. So they can tell you what they think it is. Whatever it is, sharing one key feature the killing nature of fentanyl. We've got four overdoses today. Obviously, something new is here. So be aware, you're probably going to get a bunch of overdoses. By slapping compounds together, new versions or analogs of the synthetic drug are easily being created, some drastically more potent than regular fentanyl, all in an effort to skirt the law. Trying to chase one analog down after another analog after another analog is a little bit like the fairground game of whack-a-mole. Fentanyl was first placed under international control in 1964. Carfentanyl, first synthesized 10 years later, never made the list because it was meant for large animals. In the 80s and 90s, analogs sufentanyl, alfentanyl, and remifentanyl listed as scheduled substances for intravenous anesthesia. 
but since 2012, at least 17 new analogs have been reported in countries around the world. Only one of them, acetylfentanyl, placed on the international controlled list. The chemists can probably make them faster than we can regulate them and, and add them to a list. With the number of overdose deaths so far in 2017 already exceeding all of last year, Life Labs trying to beat science with science, actively detecting analogs like carfentanyl, sharing the results with the BC government. And as fast as you get that in there, there is somebody that's trying to thwart your good efforts with a new, a new level of poison. The problem with identifying an analog, you need to know what you're looking for. John Hua, Global News. 31 years after it sold its last Big Mac, big plans for McBarge. There's nothing like it uh, at the moment in D.C. This bold vision for this Expo 86 relic and why they need your help to pull it off. Also tonight, romantic proposal in the virtual realm. How one man pulled off a surprise for his girlfriend. She thinks she's just playing a virtual reality zombie apocalypse game, as one does. After the forecast, how her boyfriend turns it into a real life-changing event. Zombie apocalypse sounds like something right up uh, Christie's alley, who is obviously at one of the scariest places to be. Uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now at the opening of uh, the Halloween tradition ghost train in Stanley Park. That's right. Thanks so much, Chris and Sophie. It's a perfect start, I think, to the Halloween uh, ghost train because uh, it's Friday the 13th, of course, adding to the spookiness down here. Uh, you know, families from all over the Lower Mainland look forward to this event every year because it is so exciting. And uh, it's all themed, of course, around Halloween and spooky tales. And every year they have a new theme. I'll tell you what this year's theme is in just a second. But let's first talk about the weather. There's a lot going on. We had snow on the Coquel, major snow, about 10 centimeters last night. Now we are still having a chance of flurries but the key across the south and especially at higher elevations will be slippery conditions because it is going to drop down below freezing even at lower elevations so watch for that tonight and then we've got another system can you see how the jet stream is driving from north south well that's going to drive snow into the central interior tonight a ton i'll show you that in a second and rain for the coast for tomorrow so let's move on and look at that model data just to show you that wave of rain that is going to push in so we'll see snow from the prince george region right down into williams lake potentially into areas like Shushwap and Kamloops and over towards Valmont. Areas north of Kamloops, though, could see 10 centimeters of snow by the end of the morning hours, and all coastal regions will see wet weather. And then there's another wave that pushes on shore into Sunday, but it won't make its way into the south coast area. As for the forecast across the north, we'll see periods of rain for the north coast. And as we said, heavy snow overnight from Prince George down through Quesnel, and then we will see the snow change to rain through the day but it is only going to be mostly wet rain or wet snow. You're only warming up to about 3 degrees. Down through the south, we'll see drier conditions, but uh, certainly that possibility of showers and the south coast will see uh, periods of rain, especially between about 9 a.m., I think, tomorrow and an early afternoon hours, but it eases off to a chance of showers. Moving on to the five-day forecast now. So wet on Saturday, much drier on Sunday with mainly cloudy skies, and uh, we will see uh, rain once again on Monday and Happy birthday to a couple of people here. Happy birthday to Gladie Manahan, celebrating 101, Jim Bargery, and Emma Chala. Congratulations to you all. 
And I'm joined now by Erin Schum. She is uh, the vice chair at uh, the, for the Park Board. Thanks so much for joining Thank us you here. For having me. How fun is this? Oh my goodness! I can just see the train packed with kids and their family here. It's going to be a good night. So tell us about this theme. Well, the ghost train has been running since 1999, and the theme changes every year. And this year is alien invasion, and it's centered around an investigation of a spacecraft that has landed in Stanley Park with live performers from Mortal Coil Society. And you can get your tickets online at mm-hmm. www.ghosttrain.ca and we have uh, events until 9.30pm or 10pm or if you're looking for some other fun we also have a haunted maze and one of my favorites, Stanley Park Ecology Society is also here to showcase some of the invasive species found in our parks. And all you have to do is bring a a canned item for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank or a cash donation. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's for all ages and it happens rain or shine. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. It'll be fun down there tonight. Mm -hmm. Australians Alex Lakovic and Kelly Lynn Norman have always joked that they were virtually engaged. Alex used that as a launching pad for a proposal that raises the bar for all men. It began with Alex... Kelly and friends playing a cutting-edge virtual reality game called Zombie Outbreak. A warehouse becomes a post-apocalyptic wasteland full of zombies to shoot. Now, what Kelly didn't know is that Alex had worked with the company ahead of time to reboot and replace the carnage with a VR version of her favorite place, the tree in front of her grandmother's house. A perfect place for this. <laughs> can I take my thing off? Okay, yeah, you can take your thing off. <laughs> <What's going on? laughs> Will you marry me? <laughs> that seemed like a yes. There was a yes in there. Alex had even arranged for friends and family to be there, as you saw. A real ring and kiss seals the deal, and the two have a February 18th wedding day. Congratulations <laughs> to them. Well done. Well, remember the McBarge? It's been 30 years since it served up Big Macs at Expo 86. And now the owners hope to attract a new generation of guests. They have big plans to develop a deep-sea research center. John Waugh has more on how you can help. What we have here is... um what I call a transporter theater. It doesn't look like much now, but the man who has owned McBarge for 20 years says it'll be restored to like new if the latest of many plans actually comes to fruition. It hasn't been a working barge. When we towed it up here, we had to have a, a, a hull inspection, and it's in near pristine condition. Unlike most things built for Expo 86, McBarge was built to last, 50 years or more. But Vancouver City was unwilling to have a permanent fast food franchise on water. So now the plan is to go green by creating a deep ocean discovery center. Where people of all ages and all nationalities can come and uh, see the Pacific Ocean, what's happening in the ocean. A world-famous nautical engineer is on board. Nutco and Candive out of North Vancouver have sold state-of-the-art submersible equipment internationally for years. Everybody in the global community worldwide, and which I'm part of, uh, knows about Canada as you know, a place, a mecca for undersea technology. But nobody in Canada seems to know it. So I thought, you know, what we really need to do is to showcase those companies who have made such incredible contributions to deep water technology. 
The Deep Ocean Discovery Center will be home to all sorts of nautical equipment built by companies from across the country. And there's a strong learning component, a $1 million interactive theater, along with various other multimedia. We rely on the ocean, and we're going to increasingly rely on the ocean for a food source, for minerals, uh, for water, and for energy. On October 21st, there's an open house and crowdsource funding event in Maple Ridge, right next to the old Albion Ferry Terminal. Ted Schnacki, Global News. Yeah, if they ever get that built, it'll be amazing. Uh, Okay, quick reminder about our chance to win the ultimate rugby fan experience. Tickets to the game here in Vancouver and in Hong Kong. It's worth 9,000 bucks. Be listening to NewsHour for the code word and go to our website to enter your chance to win. All right, Squire's here now. What do you have? All right, well, you would think a football team that hasn't won a game since 2014 would be permanently dejected. But that is not how it is at SFU. These kids are giving everything they've got. The story of how this team won't get down on itself as it learns to play the game at a high level. And then when Squire's done doing the sportscast, he has satellite debris tonight. Today's ultimate rugby fan contest code word is conversion. Go online and enter the code word for your chance to win. Tune into Global News Hour at 6 Monday for another chance to win. Squire Barnes, still ahead with sports and satellite debris. But first, let's check out a few family activities for the weekend. Here's Kasia Bedurka. Thanks. Well, we can't go without mentioning a pumpkin patch or a corn maze at this time of year. And the beauty is that there are so many of them across the province, so you'll likely find one near you. But today, I wanted to mention a famous corn maze. It's on the island at Pendray Farms in North Saanich. There are three separate corn mazes, depending on your age and how lost you want to get. You'll find fun checkpoints along the way and games. Uh, And you don't want to forget your your flashlight as well. They'll definitely come in handy, as will your boots. Wear your boots. It's $12 for adults and it's 5 for the kids. Now for the big kids, it's that time when Playland at PE becomes its freaky, terrifying doppelganger. Fright Nights this year has eight haunted houses, 20 scary rides, and live performances. Gates open at 7 p.m. and admission ranges from $32 to $45. And now, on a whole other spectrum, the Vancouver Opera is presenting Turandote, known to be one of the most musically adventurous operas ever written. Puccini, who is of course known for La Boheme and Madame Butterfly, saved his best works for Turandote, which is full of thrilling choruses and colorful sets. Sunday's matinee show, it starts at 2 p.m., and the show goes on next week as well. It's at 7.30 p.m. Now... Who doesn't love to get outside and enjoy the fall colors? Saturday, there are two free guided nature walks at Bear Creek Park in Surrey. Uh, one leaves at 10 a.m., the other is at 2. And you'll explore and learn all about the park's trees, gardens, and animals. For hikers ages 13 or under, bring your parents. And finally, for your taste buds and the fun seekers out there, the UBC Botanical Garden Apple Festival is on all weekend. All kinds of entertainment and activities and displays will be there. And of course, the star of the show, apples from all over the province and apple treats. Uh, It goes on from 11 till 4 p.m. all weekend. And for more info on these events, please go to globalnews.ca slash bc. Thank you, Kasia. We like lists. Yeah, I got a couple of things about last night's Canucks game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 4-2 loss to Winnipeg. Actually, the coach thought it was the best game of the year the Canucks played. They played pretty well in the third, but uh, couldn't get the uh, 
tying goal. Here's one thing. Louis Erickson was benched for the better part of the last half of the third period when the Canucks could have used goals. Remember, this is the guy they're paying $6 million a year to score. I wonder if the Aquilinis ever say to Canucks management, we could have bought a big point gray mansion with a great view for $36 million, but you told us to buy Louis Erickson with that money instead. Uh, and two... Alex Edler was hurt, but we aren't sure how bad just yet. But it was here when he was trying to check Mark Shifley. Looked like he hurt his left leg. Left right after this shift, and we never saw him again. Canucks of the day off today, so I guess we'll know more tomorrow about Alex Edler, who has been injury-prone during his career. Okay, the Lions have four games left in the regular season. Tomorrow they are in Winnipeg. But if things fall the wrong way this weekend, their final three games could be meaningless. If Saskatchewan wins tonight... If Edmonton wins tomorrow and the Lions lose, they will be out of the playoffs. That is how close they are to the edge right now. They simply cannot lose any more games. Just some mistakes, man. Um, just the, the killing ourselves, man. Like, you know, giving up big plays and the offense, you know, can't get the ball in the end zone. But you're moving, they're moving the ball and we're stopping people, but it's just not complete. And that's the most frustrating when you're right there at it and you can't get it and it's just you keep shooting yourself in the foot. So that's one of the most frustrating things for me. You know, I'm hoping the players uh, understand that they got to finish strong. Uh, if it's for themselves, if it's for uh, the club, it's for, it's for the fans. I think it's critical that we finish strong. Big weekend for former Lion Adam Big Hill. The Saints have brought him off their practice roster. He's now on the main roster. He'll play Sunday, and if he does play, you'll see him mainly on special teams. So when SFU began playing sports in NCAA Division II, they knew things would be tough for their football team because they're now going to be playing against higher-level U.S. schools. And it has been rough. They haven't won a game since 2014. I think it's now 29 straight losses. But when you visit their training facility, you see something remarkable. There is no sense of despair. They're a young team, and they are learning together under former BC Lion offensive lineman Kelly Bates, who was loving every minute of his job. There it is! Yes! No snap should ever phase you if you can do that. Kelly Bates knows that teaching football is only part of his job as a head coach. Until you've put yourself on the line to face victory or defeat, uh, you really haven't lived life. Give it to him. There it is. Good job. Good job. And while his players are still learning some hard lessons on how to play the game at a high level, they have already mastered the toughest task of all, not quitting in the face of adversity. Uh, none of them ever mail it in. Uh, none of them uh, ever come to work with the what was me attitude, and, and that's amazing. Come on, man. We got a bad matchup over here when we say induce. Ah, it's okay, it's okay. It's just so important to understand that these kids are giving everything they've got and we see it every day as coaches and as we move forward in this process, we see growth. And that's hey. what's important. Yeah. Good job. When Bates took over in 2015, the program was in disarray after coaching changes had disrupted the recruiting of new players. Because of that, he knew he was basically starting from scratch. We've decided to go from a high school rank type of uh, recruiting status and we go after the young guys. And we feel that when we build with young high school talent, we get those kids for four or five years. The whole point is to run the action into it so that they can block, release, and be right in front of you. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. 
you know, I, I think that, you know, next year and the year after is when you're going to really see that start to pay off. And despite not having won a game yet, everyone on the team is learning and improving, not just as football players, but as people. And that includes the head coach too. It's made my growth as a, as a human being uh, shoot through the roof. And I, I think my wife would tell you the same thing. It's you embrace it and you learn from it. And I would hope that I am a much better coach than I was my first year, not from a football perspective, but from a perspective of connecting with these young men and being what they need me to be. Hey, good job. Thank you. Coach. Good job. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully it turns around, and I think it will. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Squire. Okay. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11 and some breaking news, Anne. Thanks, Chris. Vancouver police responding to a homicide in the city's West End. Late this afternoon, officers found a woman dead in an apartment at Jervis and Harwood. Officers say there were other people in the apartment at the time of the woman's death, but they are uninjured. Police also say the killing does not appear to be random and believe the suspect fled before emergency crews arrived. And we'll have much more on this developing story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, Anne. Thank you. Okay, up next, we'll see what Squire has gathered together for us in Satellite Debris. (laughs) Satellite Debris on a Friday, you cannot go wrong with mascots. Well, this mascot is pretty darn nimble. BYU, now watch, their their cheerleading crew starts to dance and then the mascot gets involved. This guy knows how to get on the good foot. There he comes. Oh, he's working. He is working. <laughs> How much better would he be if he wasn't in a fuzzy suit? Although that for a mascot suit is very spelt. What is this? He's a Cosmo the Cougar. Oh, Cosmo's got moves. I mean, sort of the, the ladies behind him, but Cosmo's the star of this show. Well, he's also like a full mascot head taller boy. Yes, he is. Oh, that's what I'm Whoa. talking about. Cats always land on their feet. I know. Even if they're humans in cat suits. Oh, look at this. It's an easy goal, is it not? And, and, oh, that is unfortunate. Oh. <laughs> the ball wasn't even bouncing. I have no clue how he put this over the net. Yep. Shortly after that, he was kicked off the team. Okay, I, I had all these new ads I wanted to show you, and then I sort of came across something I had shown before, and I laughed super hard. So now this, the rest of Satellite Debris is just me amusing myself. But hopefully you get the laugh, too. Here we go. Oh, hey, using night vision goggles to keep an eye on my spicy buffalo wheat thins to make sure nobody touches them. Who's going to take your wheat thins? Um, I don't know. An intruder, the dog, Bigfoot, Ted from next door. Hey, can you get the light? I love you. What's going on? Hurry up, 
<laughs> I love that one. I love that one. That was good. Okay, we better check in with uh, Gordo again. She's down at the at Stanley Park with the ghost train. Hey, Christy. Hey, you guys, guess what? A UFO actually landed here in Stanley Park. I don't know why the newsroom didn't know about it, but the hazmat team has been out here clearly for a couple of days investigating. It's a good thing I'm down here reporting. It really Live is. from Stanley Park's ghost we'll, train. We'll check in for an update on the uh, News at 11 tonight. Christy, thanks very much. Have fun. Thank you, Christy. The hazmat guy looks like he's wearing a marshmallow head. Did Ted use the Getty as a display?